You and your dog are a team. Fuel is best in the field and in life with Purina Pro Plan Sport. Made for hardworking dogs of all ages, every sport formula starts with real meat as the number one ingredient and is specifically formulated to support strength and stamina. Try it today and see why ProPlan is the official dog food of Ducks Unlimited. Learn more at ProPlanSport.com. Mossy Oak has partnered with Ducks Unlimited to bring you Shadowgrass Habitat, the official camo of Ducks Unlimited. Shadowgrass Habitat pays homage to the first waterfowl-specific camo pattern ever made, Mossy Oak Shadowgrass, while incorporating the most realistic, digitally accurate images of the natural habitats that make up true waterfowl habitat. Mossy Oak is committed to conservation as its highest priority. With the launch of Mossy Oak Shadowgrass Habitat, Mossy Oak will continue funding habitat protection projects through our longtime partnership with Ducks Unlimited. Check out the new Shadowgrass Habitat pattern at mossyoak.com. Step into the world of Campus Waterfowl, a community that's shaping the future of the hunting industry. At Campus Waterfowl, we're more than just hunters. We're students. We're We're conservationists. We're conservationists. With the next generation. generation. Join us as we highlight the dedication and commitment of young hunters nationwide. Visit CampusWaterfowl.com to become part of our story. Campus Waterfowl, the future of hunting starts here. We are the Ducks Unlimited Nation. United by our passion for hunting, the outdoors, and conservation. The habitats that Ducks Unlimited have been maintaining and building since 1937 have effects far beyond the duck hunting community. Follow along with our YouTube series as we tell your stories and become part of the Ducks Unlimited Nation. DU Nation. Take it outside. Mic check, please. Hey everybody, welcome back to the Ducks on the Podcast. I'm your host, Chris Jennings. I'm your host, Dr. Mike Brazier. My name is John Gordon. I'll be your host. And I'm your host, Katie Burke. Welcome to the Ducks Unlimited Podcast, the only podcast about all things waterfowl. From hunting insights to science-based discussions about ducks, geese, and issues affecting waterfowl and wetlands conservation in North America, we bring the resource to you, the DU Podcast. Thanks for joining us here on this particular episode, and it's a going to be an exciting episode because we have a very special guest with us. And one of the things that I enjoy most about this podcast is it does give us an opportunity to connect with so many of our partners, so many of our colleagues in the waterfowl and wetlands conservation field. And today is certainly no exception. It's also pretty special because in studio with me here, I have a co-host, very special co-host, Dr. Karen Waldrop, Ducks Unlimited's very own Chief Conservation Officer. Karen, welcome. Thank you. Excited to be here. And then joining us remotely is our very special guest, the director of the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service, Ms. Martha Williams. Martha, thank you so much for joining us and for being here with us today. Thank you, Mike. And it's always nice to be here with you too, Karen. Good to see you. Martha, I'll I'll start out by congratulating you on your confirmation earlier this year on becoming the, the, the new director of the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service. We within Ducks Unlimited have so many friends, so many professional colleagues within the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service that we look, we, we look 
we pay attention to what happens in your in your agency and those type of decisions on who is going to be the next leader of that agency are so important to us because we care about those friends, those, those people that work for the service, both as, as friends as well as professional colleagues. So congratulations on that. And we certainly look forward to your leadership for that so important agency. Thank you so much. And I look forward to it as well. I completely understand how critical Ducks Unlimited is to the Fish and Wildlife Service in our achieving our mission. And that long-standing partnership has, has been terrific. So, Director Williams, one of the first things that we typically do when we have guests is is get to know that person a little bit at the, at the very at the very start. Then we'll have some other questions about your your priorities for the agency as we go forward here. But first, let's just let our listeners learn a little bit about you. And I have a series of questions here. We'll start with this one. Just tell us generally about your personal and professional background for those that may not be aware of it. Thanks, Mike. I grew up on a farm uh, north of Baltimore where my parents in their 90s still live and they still actively farm it. So right now, um, one of the benefits, the beauties of being back in D.C., as hard as it is to leave Montana, one of the benefits of being back here is I go up to the farm on the weekends when I can and I really help out. I'm learning the patterns of how to mow um, the fields and when they plant and harvest. And so I'm learning from them. And what I've come to understand and going back to the farm and helping out is just how intertwined the outdoors and uh, the landscape place was to us as a family growing up. And that was so um, instilled in us. Uh, So then I went west when I was uh, 1976. I guess I won't say how old I was when in 1976, but it was a formative experience and I went west every opportunity I had after that, uh, working in Wyoming on a ranch and eventually going to law school there and uh, falling in love with wildlife issues and... um, conservation generally. So it's been uh, very much a part of me as a person as well as my professional or my career throughout time. And I've learned a lot and always have a lot more to learn too. So Director Williams, you you kind of answered part of my next question in your in your earlier response, but I want to explore it a little bit more. Um, we oftentimes ask our guests, was there one thing that sort of set you on your path to to your certain career, or has there been any other type of very influential, very memorable moment along that path that has stayed with you to that point that has helped shape you and and uh, further your maturation as a professional in this field? Anything of that uh, to kind of add to your previous question? I love that question, Mike, and I used to ask it of my students, and I think as a parent, you know, what opportunities we provide our kids um, that are formative later on in life for them. And I, I think when we took that trip across the country and I fell in love with the West and kept going back there and... Um, you know, what was it about it? I think it was the wide open spaces. I think it was the wildlife that we could see. It was a way of life that I, um, you know, really resonated. So probably that. And um, I think also kind of going back to the first question, um, being an attorney for Montana Fish, Wildlife and Parks, 
and working on the wolf litigation early on and gaining this understanding of how complex many of these issues are and that everybody comes to them um, with very real perspectives and the need to listen to those perspectives and try to really understand them and sort through them. Uh, I think that was has been formative as well uh, for me and, and how I approach those issues now at the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service. One more related question, then I'm going to hand it over to Karen for a few questions. Along that, along that journey, any type of uh, particularly influential people in your life, personal or professional, that you know, a lot of times this question is fun because it gives our guest an opportunity to, to pay tribute to those people that have been very influential in their lives. Any, any people like that for you, Martha? Oh, I think so many. It's hard to just pick a few. But I um, I did go to the University of Montana uh, to law school to study under Marjorie Brown. She was a, a natural resources, public lands, Indian law professor. And she went about her work with such humility and wisdom that I was really drawn to her as a mentor. I think also of Michael Bean, who was so knowledgeable and um, yet so soft-spoken. Um, and those are probably two key ones. I also, you know, for what it's worth, I think of, I at the time, I thought of Ruth Bader Ginsburg in that she was so incremental and very strategic in um, how she set out her opinion. So I think what I learned from that is knowing how to lay uh, a groundwork or framework for later decisions that that to create opportunities uh, is so important. When, when those circumstances come up, if you've done your homework, then you have those opportunities before you, but maybe not if, if you haven't done your homework all along the way. That's great. Thank you for sharing that. That's pretty cool to hear. Martha, talking about some of you, you talked about being able to go out West and kind of the experiences and falling in love with, with everything that has to do with the outdoors and being out West. I was just wondering if you could share with us some of your favorite outdoor activities Thanks, Karen. That's so funny. I would say anything, anything outside. <laughs> but <laughs> yeah, I mean, I love, gosh, I love being on rivers. I love waking up camping and waking up next to a river. I love hunting because I love getting out early in the morning and being so attuned to the sounds and things going on around you. But I think what I've also learned over time, even being here in D.C., is it can be as much as being in your backyard or going to the local park that while these wild places are so compelling and draw me and many others, it's um, just being outside and paying attention to your backyard and local places are pretty special too. I could not agree more. <laughs> um, what are some, like if you had a couple of your favorite hunting experiences, is there a couple that you would be interested in sharing? Sure. I have one. Um, it's not hunting, it's shooting. I, um, on my honeymoon, we went to Hawaii and my husband who loved um, to hunt and fish, there was a sporting clays course there and he took me to the sporting clays course. And I can't, 
I can't pretend to be very good. And I had one of those days, those lucky days where I just nailed it. And he looked at me like, wow, score. I mean, I'm excited that we got married, but whoa, I didn't know you could (laughs) shoot so well. Double score. I can't, that was just a one-time deal uh, that I shot that well. But um, I think of the first time I went elk hunting and how kind of spiritual and magical the experience was of being by myself in a place where I was, again, so attuned to my environment. And I envisioned an elk coming across this draw. I was very aware of how far I could shoot or not and only wanting to take a clean shot. And unbelievably, you know, four hours later, a bull elk came right where I had imagined stopped very much within the line of fire, stopped sideways to me, turned and looked at me like, are you going to do something or not? And I I did shoot it in one shot and it was, um, I put sage in its mouth to honor it and, you know, very much appreciate having that meat in my freezer and knowing where it came from. But it was a, it was a very uh incredible experience and think, oh my gosh, <laughs> for my first time out elk hunting that it could happen in that way. It was pretty special. That does sound special. And there is something special about uh, the, you know, the majestic elk. So that's, that's a great story. Both of them are wonderful stories. If it's all right, I'll switch gears a little bit. Kind of want to talk about what I think is was probably a very exciting day for you and your family. But I was just wondering if you could share with us what did it mean to you um, and to your family to, to when you learned that the president, our president Biden, had nominated you uh, to lead the agency that has all this great responsibility that we talked about and the partnerships and managing and conserving our our nation's fish and wildlife resources. Great question. I think um, back to how I talked about Marge Brown, it was incredibly humbling, uh, exciting, nervous excitement. um, And it was just, just such an honor. And I think about it, I think of all of the sum of experiences I've had uh, that led up to that moment and how I need to draw on every single one of them. You know, ones that you might be obvious and then other ones perhaps not so obvious. So um, I just felt like it was this culmination of of a lot of factors. And um, mostly it was just a feeling of deep appreciation and corresponding responsibility that it's an honor. Director Williams, I, I have a question for you. And, and then as we get into these next ones, we're going to be talking about uh, some of your priorities as as the director for the Fish and Wildlife Service. Uh, but I guess before we go too far down there, this is Ducks Unlimited. Our members, our supporters are avid waterfowl hunters. Uh, and I will say, I'll take the liberty of saying that, you know, we have video here that we're, and that's enabling us to interact. And I'm looking over your right shoulder, I think. And is that a common eider that I see mounted over there? It is. I'm very happy to see that uh, that we have a waterfowl species there prominently in your office there. So thanks for that. So And and a trumpeter swan too. You can't see it quite. Oh, there oh, it is. There it yeah. Is. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He's my guardian back there. <laughs> that is great. Uh, so it is the time of year when 
uh, traditionally waterfowl hunters, waterfowl managers get so excited about because we're all looking north to the breeding grounds of the northern U.S. and Canada. And of course, this is when our Fish and Wildlife Service partners, Canadian Wildlife Service partners, state and provincial partners have been out there conducting the waterfowl breeding population and habitat survey. You know the story as well as anyone about us being without it for the last two years due to the pandemic. Um, we have we have spoken with uh, the the uh, the chief of the Division of Migratory Bird Management, uh, Dr. Ken Richkus, and he has told us and shared with us, yes, that the survey is being conducted. But I wanted to give you an opportunity as a director of the agency, anything that you're able to share about the the status, the completing of that survey, and. You probably don't have the numbers, can't give us a sneak peek, but anything worth sharing about the status of that survey? Excellent question, because it's one that I've gotten a lot, so I'm glad to be able to address. And I know Dr. Ken Richkus um, was on your podcast, super helpful for him to give that detailed information. But I, I, the story is so important that for the first time since the pandemic, our aerial survey crews were able to enter Canada to conduct the waterfowl breeding population and habitat survey, that May survey. And um, it was such a relief that we were able to do so. I think it's really cool that there were nine Fish and Wildlife Service uh, air crews, there were two ground crews, and then we worked with Canada, Canadian Wildlife Service for three of their air crews and three of their ground crews. So it's just, I, I think it's a testament to what it takes um, collectively for all of us to to manage and steward these incredible species, um, waterfowl species, and to our pilots, you know, to everything that goes into them. I can't give you much (laughs) of a hint. It's still early for us to know what those surveys will mean as far as an estimate population size and waterfowl production, but I know everyone's super busy to be able to get those um, those draft report uh, reports out. I wish I could give you an indication, <laughs> but I don't. In this instance, I don't know any more um, than you do, and we'll all we'll all find out probably around the same time. But. Uh, they're really key, and I'm I'm glad those surveys were able to happen. Yeah, I figured that was the case, but I, I had Darn. to ask, you know. So, but no, yes. thank you for that, and and thank you to all of your staff for the great work that they they do on that survey, and we'll look forward to that report. Yeah. It's a lot of hard work, but what an incredible you know database as far as like the series of of flights over the years. You know, there's really nothing that compares to to the data that has been able to come in from those those surveys. So it's, it is wonderful to have. Yeah. Thanks, Karen. I think it's a good reminder. We, we need to remind ourselves, I think, in these days of the, those pieces that are so cool about what we do and all that it takes to provide that really important data. So partnerships are also extremely important and really to meet all of the needs um, of migratory birds, it takes lots of partners and lots of coordination and communication and and these strong relationships. And in my previous role with US uh, with the Kentucky Department of Fish and Wildlife, I know how important that relationship and that partnership is with US Fish and Wildlife Service. And so I was wondering, how do you view and, and really describe the partnership that exists between 
state and federal agencies to make sure that we have effective management and sustainable waterfowl populations? Great question. And I think it's pretty fun, Karen, that you and I both work together, um, you know, while in Kentucky and Montana, and then now we're in these positions where we're still working together and uh, on a more national scale. I think the the first answer is those partnerships are absolutely critical. We couldn't, uh, I don't think any of us could get our work done, achieve our missions alone. I mean, these are definitely and necessarily collective efforts. And and what does that mean, really? So there's that longstanding coordination and sometimes um, corresponding tensions between the Fish and Wildlife Service in the states, understandably so. I mean, those that's very important, um, those relationships are. But then there are also, um, like Ducks Unlimited, the NGOs and our other partners that have been part of this work for so long and, and get it, get the processes and are um, incredibly supportive and effective. Then I think of the migratory bird joint ventures, you know, is key components to addressing migratory birds, the challenges they face and the opportunities that we have to address them. I think about collaborative conservation. For me, that is the model going forward because it's necessary that we all work together. I think also we have a chance to show the value of collaboration. We have a chance to show that these are issues that cut through politics. I mean, politics influence some pieces of it, but there's so much of what we do that cuts through that and and requires us to work together well. I think of voluntary efforts um, by private landowners. You know, we're talking about public land, private land, governmental uh, parties, tribes, local government, and NGOs and business as well. Well, and you alluded to it some like with private landowners, but, you know, we always talk about that hunters and anglers, they pay for conservation, right? We say that we say that a lot, and it's true. Um, and so I was wondering if you could talk a little bit about the importance of that their contributions, hunters, anglers, um, to habitat management, to funding conservation, um, influencing policy, and, and then also like social science and helping provide a lot of the data that, that we need, um, especially with waterfowl and populations. Uh, I'm so glad the way you framed that question, Karen, because I think often we talk about hunters and anglers about the financial contributions they make, which are incredibly important. I hope you see, the listeners can't see that I have a duck stamp pin on, and I just purchased my duck stamp last week that I have right here. Um, So I, I get how incredibly important Uh, the migratory bird hunting and conservation stamp. Duck stamp is to conservation. But what you mentioned too is it's not, it is that financial component. It is also that key part of public education efforts, that historical political engagement, and also um, gathering information and data, whether it's the hard data or the social science as well. I mean, I, I think you're, it's hunters and anglers are so important to this bigger picture of how we all work together toward these common goals. 
that it's it's integral throughout all of our work. And I'm great, I should say I am also greatly appreciative to all these partners and to hunters and anglers. I don't want to miss that point. They play a very important role um, as we are also, all of us here are also hunters and anglers as well. And so, you know, we, we understand both sides of the, how important that information that, that we gather and, and, and being in, them being involved, hunters and anglers and their involvement and caring about conservation is, is so vitally important uh, to the future of, of waterfowl, wildlife, fisheries, everything in our future in this country. So um, definitely... I, I, I echo your thoughts of appreciation. It makes me think, Karen, we support that, which we know. Um, you know, you love things that you know, and I think those who've been engaged in this work and nature, waterfowl for a long, long time, you know, are so engaged because they they know it and love it. And that's that's really important. And the support for legislation that, that's... it. it their their investments of time and resources get it just it's pretty remarkable. They're true leaders and and really, as you said, director, it's we we invest in the things that we care about and that we know about and, and hunters and anglers do it in so many different ways. Right. And like speaking of the legislation, we've seen a lot of legislative initiatives lately that have the the potential to deliver so many great benefits for waterfowl and other migratory birds. Things like the Great American Outdoors Act, um, the Infrastructure Investment and Jobs Act, America the Beautiful. I mean, there's many others. And and actually, uh, Director Williams, during your time as director and, you know, in the future, what, what do you think some of your greatest priorities are going to be for supporting refuges, waterfowl and habitat conservation and other migratory bird issues, you know, given a lot of those uh, those legislation, legislative pieces that we're seeing? So priorities related to the National Wildlife Refuge System, I think about how important conserving habitat for waterfowl and migratory birds is, and the refuge system is such a key part of that. So, you know, we have, the refuge system has a strategic growth policy where we really are focused on our priorities of conserving North American waterfowl and migratory birds very grateful for the permanent land and water conservation fund money directed toward acquiring that important habitat. Uh, I think also of expanding, continuing to expand opportunities for recreational hunting and fishing on public lands, um, but also to continue to expand access and engagement to some of those urban wildlife refuges too, and to some of those communities that haven't always traditionally been engaged to bring not to pay attention to our traditional constituents and continue to expand. And then I think of our coastal program and our partners for fish and wildlife program um, working through both and with Ducks Unlimited to enhance conservation and promote habitat connectivity and ecosystem resilience. I think of that work. A component of that is this uh, restoration economy that's really important nationally, but also helps communities um, in so many different ways. So 
uh, lots of priorities for the refuge system and excited um, for for all of the work we do together. Yeah, and I mean, speaking of some of those, you know, other benefits of the work that we're all doing, the work on refuges and and throughout the the country, you know, that I love hearing how you're talking about some of the gains and things that you can you guys can make um, in these areas, given. The, the legislative priorities, and you mentioned helping communities. Um, and I know that there are have been times, and there will be more times, where the refuges can hold water during you know certain flood events that will will help from flooding issues downstream, or you know for groundwater recharge, or creating more habitat to hold water during critical times. So I think that's wonderful that you guys are, are looking at all of those aspects of what we can do with some of these legislative priorities and some of these funds. And I'm glad you mentioned um, Land Water Conservation Fund as well, which is extremely important. So that's great. So if there's any, is there anything else on that that you think of that to expand on some of those opportunities that maybe you guys are investigating? Sure. I mean, I, I think of, um, you know, this administration has prioritized and has explicitly recognized the value of conservation. So, you know, whether it's through addressing climate change, whether it's through the um, Restoring America the Beautiful report, it's an investment, a recognition of its importance and an investment in those practices that I think all of us in this profession have learned, those lessons we've learned over the years that voluntary, uh, locally-led conservation is most durable, that we honor and respect private property rights, that we work with communities, that we work with tribes, um, that those kind of key components we will only be amplifying and that we have a real investment in. I think of um, supporting joint ventures and, and our support for joint ventures aligns so well with this administration's efforts under uh, America the Beautiful. And then I think about, I worry about the declining birds, the um, 3 billion birds that we have lost and then our investments and how do we turn that around and how do we do that collectively? DU's been incredibly helpful. Our joint ventures are critically important to that. NACA, our duck stamp, um, our flyways. There's so many ways we we can work on this together and have been and, and uh, create that really important partner foundation that we then build from as we get these investments. So um, RAWA, Recovering America's Wildlife Act, would be a game changer. Uh, I feel like that would be pretty darn exciting were that to pass, and we're all getting ready for it, right? For hopefully when it does pass. I think the, the theme I want to convey is just how important our partnerships and voluntary efforts are and um, that we have a foundation to work on there. And what we really want to do is is to continue to build on that and invest in it. I was wondering if it'd be okay if I made a plug for a very important area of the country for our, our listeners, the Prairie Pothole region. And just wondering, you know, anything there as far as efforts on maintaining that priority status there or some things that you guys are thinking about? 
Well, um, you bet we'll continue to make that a priority area. And um, so important, right, to our waterfowl species. And, and so we, we continue to be very engaged there and, and um, committed to that as a priority area. So, um, and I think, I, I hope, I, I think you asked the question in part because our efforts really aligned with um, the DU's priority conservation areas. So, and I'm not sure that you know everyone realizes how much work the service employees are doing as far as as, as work in conservation of the the prairie pothole region, um, and working with landowners, um, you know, voluntarily and and building those relationships. Because as you mentioned earlier, how important private landowners are and landowner rights, and uh, and we need them, right? We need them uh, in their partnership to help us with this. Absolutely. And absolutely, we understand the importance of working with private landowners and building those relationships over time. And I think of our Partners for Fish and Wildlife program as an excellent example of that. Um, and, and, and to remember that we, the Fish and Wildlife Service, we are there to provide technical and financial assistance that sometimes, you know, we're there to, to help figure out how to how to be supportive. And it doesn't always have to be us. You know, we get that sometimes the messenger is really important and we're there in a support role as well. Another program that has had a huge role in conserving bird habitat is the NACA program. That's the North American Wetlands Conservation Act. And it grants increased bird population. It grants support, increased bird populations, wetland habitat. And as we've just talked about, also supports local economies and those traditions of fishing, hunting, bird watching, um, family farming, cattle ranching, keeping families on the land. So it's amazing what NACA has achieved over the years, providing these benefits from flood control, reducing coastal erosion, improving water and air quality, and recharging groundwater, as I think you mentioned, Karen. So in the past three decades, NACA has funded over three over 3,000 projects, totaling over $2 billion in grants. So I think it's just worth a pause to recognize what an incredible investment and contribution the NACA program has provided over the years and has included over 6,000 partners along the way, affecting over 31 million acres of habitat in a voluntary basis. Which so is just simply pretty, amazing. Pretty awesome. Yeah, it is. Yeah. And we, we at Ducks Unlimited would have find it extremely difficult to do the work that we do uh, for wetlands and grasslands habitat work with with all the partners if it were not for, for NACA. So we're extremely grateful. I'll go into our last question here and kind of build off this discussion about NACA and your previous reference to joint ventures. One of the things that Dr. Director Williams, you probably don't know uh, about my previous position with Ducks Unlimited was as a staff member for the Gulf Coast Joint Venture. So I worked alongside in the same office with several Fish and Wildlife Service employees. I was a part of that joint venture community. And I know you talked several times in your responses about the importance of joint ventures and the role they play for migratory bird habitat conservation. 
so many of the other different parts of your agency, science, apps, uh, inventory, and monitoring. And I, I know periodically names change for some programs. So if anything has changed there, my, my apologies. But all of those different components of the Fish and Wildlife Service, um, they use, they rely on the, the gains through NACA and so many of the other programs that you've mentioned. But it's increasingly challenging to kind of think about what the future landscape is going to look like because it is changing so much. And this is kind of get this kind of gets into the question. We are living in a time of abundant, rapid change in so many different ways, whether we're talking about longstanding land use change, the conversion of our of our native habitats, where we're talking whether we're talking about more recent changes of sea level rise or uh, the challenges with limited water supplies in the western U.S. and our droughts going, uh, going to become more frequent with changing climate. All of these, there's so many things that are going on right now. It's, it's sometimes very difficult to, to think, how are we going to ensure that the conservation decisions we're making today are, are resilient and are able to kind of adapt to all those different changes? And I know all those people that I mentioned, all those programs that I've had the, the pleasure of working with take those things into, into mind. But as the, as the person at the head of that agency, how, what opportunities do you see or will you try to promote to ensure that the services conservation decisions are appropri- appropriately considering all those changes? Where does science fit, fit, uh, fit into that? Um, it's a big question, <laughs> but uh, yeah, how, how do you, how are you, but I know it's a big, it's a big issue for you and your agency. And so how do you, what opportunities do you see and, and how will you promote that in your, among your priorities? Wow. Um, thanks for that <laughs> softball, but but Sorry. totally fair. No, no, no. It is totally fair. And let me say that, you know, this is what I think about every night or it keeps me up at night in a good way. Um, so I think what you laid out are some pretty extraordinary extraordinary challenges that come with impacts of climate change, drought, fire, invasive species, Um, concern about losing uh, long-standing ranches and farms to development, uh, biodiversity crisis, uh, sea level rise, encroachments from saltwater. I mean, I'm probably missing a bunch. So lots, lots of challenges before us how do we pivot and be ready for them i i just last night went to the jefferson memorial with my son my teenage son and was reading an inscription there pretty remarkable that thomas jefferson um recognized that we must adapt to a changing world. He used the analogy of what if um, we the, a little boy puts on a coat and that same coat doesn't carry that little boy throughout his life um, and recognizing now, what does that mean for us? Isn't it, I would argue, it's the Fish and Wildlife Service's responsibility to be looking to the future and to be pivoting to be relevant um, going toward the future. How do we do that? I think we absolutely stand by our traditional constituents, realize the value of, of all the work that's gotten us to where we are, and yet 
I think we absolutely have to focus on how we do our work. Are we being inclusive? Are we creating within the service the leadership and modeling what it means to have a workforce that uh, feels valued uh, and has then the support to pivot toward the future, to be prepared to bring more into the fold? What does that mean? How do we do it well? Um, So I'm very much focused internally on making sure the service is as healthy as it can be to address these issues as they come in. And then I it goes back to the way I started, so that we've done our homework and we are ready for the opportunities that come our way. Have we done our homework and are we ready for Rawa to pass? I would argue yes, and we need to, we need to keep working on that. Are we ready and poised to put the bipartisan infrastructure law projects on the ground? I think yes. How do we be poised for those opportunities coming our way? Can we engage with tribes more? Can we think about these other ways of knowing and learning? And frankly, be thinking for the long game. Are we thinking generations to come and can shift toward that long game and not just be focused on the next five years? But how do we be poised for um, our own communities to be healthy and supporting these wildlife and stewarding these resources for the long term. So I think it's control what you can, be prepared where you can, so you can meet those opportunities as they come your way and even create them. So I think we are in ex- challenging, but also very exciting times for the relevancy of all of our work and the partnerships, like the partnership we've built with DU, um, to have that ready to be um, the best it can be in these challenging times. That's a that's an amazing response. Thank you for that. If I, <laughs> it is. If I could follow up on one thing, Ducks Unlimited, and I know the service as well, has long prided itself on using great scientific investments and in, yeah, great scientific information, investing in the development of that, the application of that. How important is that in the preparation that you just talked about, both within your agency as well as partnering with scientific uh, scientific institutes, universities outside the agency? Yeah, perfect segue. It's incredibly important. That, I think, is that homework, that foundation, that scientific foundation, the scientific integrity, that we keep that going, right? That it informs our decision-making. And I would add, we are learning in addition to that, not to supplant it, but in addition to that, we understand more and more how important social science is. And as I mentioned, these traditional ways ways of knowing um, to bring that into the fold as well. But it is the scientific data and foundation that we build through partners, through universities and ourselves and say the USGS, all of us working together on those, um, that scientific foundation, it's the underpinning of all of our work. It should be. 
Well, I can think of no better way to end a podcast than talking about science and data and its importance in conservation decision making. I think that was. I think you might have planned that. No, not me. Not me. Um, Director Williams, thank you so much. I'm going to toss it to to Karen here for, I guess, a, a thank you on behalf of Ducks Unlimited. But but personally, thank you so much. This has been this has been awesome. This has been a lot of fun, and I'm hoping, Director Williams, we get to get together soon, maybe maybe doing some hunting as well. I know it's been a little while since I've seen you. I think it was, it's was it been six months or so when I was up there for that event, but um, it's been wonderful visiting with you today, and I, and I honestly, you know, uh, wholeheartedly would like to thank you for being on here today. I would like to thank you for your leadership, uh, for your friendship, for your partnership, as well as um, all the staff members with U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service, incredible partners for us at Ducks Unlimited and doing an amazing job for all of our wildlife and uh, fisheries and, and all the conservation work across the country. So grateful for the work that you guys do. And thank you so much for being on today. Thank you, Karen, as always. I'll take you up on that offer. <laughs> and I would, I'd be remiss to say that I, I just feel um, joyful in the work that I get to do. And it's because of the incredible staff at the Fish and Wildlife Service around me and these longstanding relationships that we've all built. So it's, it's a pleasure. A very, very special thanks to our guest on today's episode. Director of the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service, Martha Williams, we greatly appreciate her time, appreciate the work of her entire agency and all that they do for natural resource conservation in in this country. Also thank my co-host, uh, Dr. Karen Waldrop, our Chief Conservation Officer, being for being here with us today. As always, we thank our producer, Chris Isaac, for the great job he does with these episodes. And then to you, the listener, we thank you for your time and we thank you for your support of wetlands and waterfowl conservation. Thank you for listening to this episode of the DU Podcast. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to the show. And visit www.ducks.org slash DU Podcast for resources based on today's topics, as well as access to more episodes. Opinions expressed by guests do not necessarily reflect those of Ducks Unlimited. Until next time, stay tuned to the Ducks. Stay tuned to the Ducks. You and your dog are a team. Fuel is best in the field and in life with Purina Pro Plan Sport. Made for hardworking dogs of all ages, every sport formula starts with real meat as the number one ingredient and is specifically formulated to support strength and stamina. Try it today and see why Pro Plan is the official dog food of Ducks Unlimited. Learn more at ProPlanSport.com. Mossy Oak has partnered with Ducks Unlimited to bring you Shadowgrass Habitat, the official camo of Ducks Unlimited. Shadowgrass Habitat pays homage to the first waterfowl-specific camo pattern ever made, Mossy Oak Shadowgrass, while incorporating the most realistic, digitally accurate images of the natural habitats that make up true waterfowl habitat. Mossy Oak is committed to conservation as its highest priority. With the launch of Mossy Oak Shadowgrass Habitat, Mossy Oak will continue funding habitat protection projects through our longtime partnership with Ducks Unlimited. Check out the new Shadowgrass Habitat pattern at mossyoak.com. Step into the world of Campus Waterfowl, a community that's shaping the future of the hunting industry. At Campus Waterfowl, we're more than just hunters. We're students. We're, students. we're conservationists. We're conservationists. With the next generation. next generation. Join us as we highlight the dedication and commitment of young hunters nationwide. Visit campuswaterfowl.com to become part of our story. 
Campus Waterfowl, the future of hunting starts here. We are the Ducks Unlimited Nation, united by our passion for hunting, the outdoors, and conservation. The habitats that Ducks Unlimited have been maintaining and building since 1937 have effects far beyond the duck hunting community. Follow along with our YouTube series as we tell your stories and become part of the Ducks Unlimited Nation. DU Nation, take it outside.